welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and uh, as always, we're thrilled that you've taken some time to be with us today for a show that, uh, I'm going to tell you something right now, this is going to be a show that I guarantee is going to be a little bit all over the place, because the guy that I have as our guest today is a guy that I could just talk to all day, all night. We would run the gamut from every bull hunting topic you could imagine from equipment to hunting methods to species to east coast west coast you name it and uh i'm gonna say uh that this guy is probably one of the best relatively under the radar bow hunters in America today. And that is none other than Mr. Clint Casper. Clint, welcome to Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio. I'm gonna to have to catch my breath for a second. All, all of that uh all of that hot air about me, man. I, I don't know. Ooh, that's uh, that's some big shoes to fill. A kind words that I, I have to thank you for, but man, my gosh, it almost sounded like like I'm uh I'm you you I'm sponsored by you or something. That was that was great. Well, you know, if Peterson's bow hunting says it, uh, it's got to be true. And in all seriousness, Clint, you know, as the editor of the magazine, one of my jobs is to constantly scan the bow hunting, you know, horizon and see who's popping up. And, you know, you've been a longtime reader of the magazine and you know the history of Peterson's bow hunting. And I know every day when I wake up, you know, not, not only am I blessed to have this job, I'm blessed to work with people on a regular basis, like a Randy Ulmer, like a Bill Winky, like an Eddie Claypool, guys who are absolute legends, uh, you know, within the bow hunting community. But at the same time, uh, there's younger guys such as yourself who are up and comers who are really getting the job done out there in the field. And uh, for those who don't know about Clint, uh, Clint is a, an Ohio resident and you uh, live in some some great farm country there in Ohio. Your family's involved in farming and you really have developed a specialty in just managing to get the slip on some giant Ohio whitetails. And then, of course, you've branched out in more recent years and started to stack up some pretty nice trophies out west too so i mean listen i can you know whisper sweet nothings in your ear all day but at the end of the day you've got the bona fides to prove it so i'm not i'm not telling you anything that you don't deserve my man uh, hey i i appreciate that i'm a i'm a blessed and uh extremely uh lucky guy to, to grow up there in uh, some really good farm country in ohio and you know with, with mom and dad having all the grain farms and stuff and and uh, just you know, being able to be brought up in the in the, the dairy farm environment and the outdoors, um, it's just led to an absolute love and passion for bow hunting and just, you know, just that lifestyle has, uh, it's really changed my life. I mean, I tell people all the time, it's almost silly to say, but when you really stop and think about it, I mean, bow hunting has shaped uh, the guy that I am. Uh, I think I'm a, I'm, I'm a patient, um, you know, father and, and a companion. And I think that I'm, I'm a very driven and motivated guy 
um, very passionate about stuff. And I, and I mean, all those things honestly have come from climbing the, the ladder, of, you know, of a bow hunter. I mean, I've just learned so much and it's, it's just made me maybe be the guy that I am. I, I've always dreamed of, uh, my gosh, I can think of when I was a little kid, I pulled this story before um, to different people. My dad going to the local, you know, the uh, local little, little five and dine store and, you know, to, to get, uh, you know, could get whatever, you know, on a daily basis, we'd go down to get, you know, gas in the truck for diesel or whatever. And, oh, man, we had to run inside every every night. And if there was a new hunting magazine, especially a new bow hunting magazine, oh, I, I suckered him into buying every one of those. And then finally he got smarter. He started just to subscribe into them. So then he wasn't paying 6 and $7. He was paying, you know, 19 and 20 and getting a whole year's worth. But, well, you know, I used to take those home and, uh, oh, it was cover to cover. I mean, for the whole rest of the night, I was just glued, absolutely glued to, you know, reading just like the guys you mentioned. Oh, man, Eddie Claypool's Adventures Chasing Elk on these public grounds in Montana. And then you got Bill Winky, who's out there just, I mean, matching wits with some of the nation's biggest white tails. And, and you know, it was crazy. I, I used to tell my mom and dad, someday you guys are going to open up these magazines and I'm going to be in them. You're going to see me. And they used to always say, okay, well, again, you, you got to, you know, you got to have a goal. You got to have a dream. So that's your goal. You got to, you know, you got to make sure that you, you do everything you can to finally one day, you know, be in there. And I just always thought, gosh, that wouldn't that be cool to open up a magazine and there'd be my story and my pictures and be able to say, man, I'm going to share this with everybody. You know, I want, I want guys to read my articles and go, man, if Clint can do it, and if he's able to do this, and, and through his words and his photos, I'm jacked up. Now I want to go hunt elk, or I want to go hunt whitetails, or I want to go hunt turkeys on public ground in Kansas, or whatever it may be. That's, that's what I've always dreamed about. That's what I always wanted. That was always the, the goal was, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm like, man, I want to bow hunt, and I want to write about it and take pictures and figure out a way to that just, like, be my job. So it's, it's, it's really cool to, you know, be able to, to be you know, blessed to have opportunities to, to write, you know, and whatnot, and uh, and be able just to share my passion and, and, and love for bow hunting in the outdoors, uh, especially, you know, with guys like you that are, you know, none other than the Kirsten Berg, the, the editor of Pearson's Bow Hunting. So, uh, you know, I'll, uh, I'll never forget that first article that I wrote for you, man. That was the, uh, that was my first big one in print. That was a, uh, that'll always be the, uh, the special one that's up on the wall, I guess you could say. Yeah, that was, uh, that was about that buck that you called extra that, uh, yep. you know, great name for that deer because he had a whole bunch of junk. By the way, for you who are listening, can you tell that we've got two type A personalities on the line today? I mean, there's talking about, I, mean, <laughs> I, I hope you didn't over caffeinate before I called you, Clint, because if you and I, you know, you take, you take, you know, kerosene and, and, and a flamethrower and then you pour a bunch of caffeine on top of that, man, we're going to be in trouble today. But uh, yeah, extra, man, what a great buck. Now, I don't even know if he's your biggest ever, but certainly he's among the biggest. Was extra your biggest deer that you've killed? You know, I I think uh, not that I have anything against scores and, and, and guys that are into the scores because I, I do love to score my deer. I love to score shed. And I just love to know, okay, this is what a uh, quote unquote 150 buck looks like or whatever. But I hate to go off of, off of just inches, but if we're going to go off of, off of just straight inches, he grossed uh, 191 and some change. So he is my biggest, um, 
what we'll call inch-wise deer. Now, I got to tell you, um, I love, and I've always had a knack for those big, old, um, torn ear, scarred up, missing an eye, broken nose box that are in that seven, eight, nine-year-old range. And I, I shot um, uh, a big mainframe six last year. So it would have been... Um, January 13th of 2018, so it had been the 2017-2018 year. That buck was aged at eight and a half, and I got to tell you, honestly, uh, he field dressed, uh, what was he, he was 219, and that was the end of January, so you can imagine what he looked like in October, November. That deer, honestly, um, <laughs> you know, it, I mean, he, he's, just, uh, he's just a big six, um, you know, with, with a little kicker, but he honestly, when, when I think of like, okay, what's your biggest deer overall, that is the first deer that pops in my mind just because of all the history. And that deer was so old. Um, and it took me, it was a 97 or 96 days of hunting that buck that year. Um, until I finally got to draw my bow on that deer on that snowy cool January 13th day. So for me, Big buck wise, I'm a I'm an age guy. I love those big old bruisers, and man, that 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 guy is just top of my list. I mean, he he really is. Not score wise, but overall, just a big giant old heavy massive buck. Man, that's a uh, he's honestly probably my my favorite buck to, to date. Honestly, yeah, that's uh boy, that's a good tease for some stuff that we can jump into here in a moment. Um. So before we dive into a little bit more, uh, and I'm going to go into whitetail talk first, and we'll get to some of that other stuff, but just to give people uh, a little bit more information about, you know, Clint, and uh, he's actually going to be a regular here with us uh, as we go through 2019 with Peterson's bow hunting. Like you said, you've written um, a couple articles for me in the past, and uh, Now we just published uh, your turkey piece. Uh, you've got a great article about like mid-morning turkey hunting and and how you found a lot of success with kind of sleeping in a little bit, maybe getting out to the woods, you know, two or three hours after sunrise and really getting the job done on a regular basis later in the morning, which is great you know, music to ears like mine who don't like to get out of bed all that early. And we can talk about that a little bit. Uh, You've got another piece that we just edited that's going to be in the June issue about adventure hunting and how your desires to pursue, you know, some adventurous type hunts, which by the way, you know, you talk about some Western hunts there, whether it's antelope, elk, uh, what have you. But, you know, adventure doesn't have to be just going out west you know and you can find adventure yeah you could just right there in ohio i mean you could just say you know what i know these farms where i've been hunting since i was a kid like the back of my hand this year i'm just going to drive uh two hours away and i'm going to go hunt this piece of public ground you know uh in a different part of the state i mean that's adventure bow hunting uh and you talk about things like setting goals and driving yourself to prepare you know physically mentally your equipment uh and how that has made you you know better at what you're doing right there around home so there's so many things clint that you're passionate about within this bow hunting world and these are the kind of things that you know i'm glad to be able to provide you the forum to share with our readers again not just because i think you're swell although i do but because it's it's valuable information and i think a lot of people are going to relate to what you have to say and uh you know not only 
are you high energy, you know, real personable guy, but you know what you're doing too. So you add those two things together and I think you got a winning combination on your hands. And certainly, as I already said, you've got, uh, you know, you've got the animals on the ground to prove it. So let's now jump back to this whole thing. Cause you mentioned, okay, you've got some really old deer under your belt. You've got some really big deer under your belt, because I know that in addition to extra, I, I know you've got bunch and bunch of, you know, 130, 40, 50, 60 deer that you've killed. So now let's, before we dive any further, let me set you up with this and then I'll let you run for a while. You know, yes. Okay. For those of you who are listening, you you might think, okay, well, that's great. This guy's killed a bunch of big deer. Oh, it must be great to hunt where there are a bunch of big deer. As Bill Winky always says, the first step in killing really big bucks, Clint, is that you must hunt where really hunt big where bucks are. If you hunt yeah. somewhere where <laughs> there aren't any really big bucks, and I do a lot of my hunting uh, in places like that here in Pennsylvania, Clint, you know, if you don't hunt where there are very many big bucks, it's very hard to kill a lot of big bucks. But that being said, okay, let's let's give Clint the the fact that he's blessed to, to live and hunt in an area that has those big deer. But that said, he is far more successful than the average bow hunter in his area at getting onto these deer. So let's dive in a little bit to that, Clint. Tell me real quick. Don't spend a lot of time telling me about your childhood and your first hunt and all that. But how many years? Because you're not that old. How old are you, Clint, now? Just turned 30 in November. Okay, so you're you're just a kid, really. And how long have you been bow hunting? I first started whenever I was 12. Okay, so you've been hunting about 17 years or 18 years or so. Yep. Okay, so you've got some good bow hunting experience under your belt. Tell me a little bit. Don't don't tell me. Tell our listeners, you know, what's your key to success? How do you get on a giant every year and not just and, and, and actually that's another thing for you to talk about. I know you're big and you wrote an article for this uh, for us about this hunting one individual buck is kind of like a thing for you. Yep. Well, have, have at it, man. Yeah, no, I love to hunt um, one specific buck, um, for sure. We'll dive into that. Um, but if I'm going to pinpoint um, why I'm successful or, or why I um, always have at least one or two good opportunities to, to kill uh, a mature buck every year, um, honestly, it's in one word to sum it up, I'm going to say it's patience. Um, I do not let myself, um, get in a rush or feel like I'm in a big hurry. And I feel like with big bucks, you've got early season, you've got the rut, you've got late season, and you need to have a game plan for each phase. You need to have backup plans for each phase and you need to be able to distinguish in your head. Okay. Early season, this is my keys. Here's my goals. I'm going to hunt um, greens. Maybe it's clover. Maybe it's alfalfa. Maybe it's acorns that are dropping. But I'm going to have a goal, and I'm going to have a, a plan, and I'm going to stick to that, and I'm going to stay patient. I am not going to stray from the plan. Now, we get into the rut. 
Okay. I'm a big uh, I'm a big topo guy, and actually, I'm working on an article right now for you, Christian, about mapping your, the way to your next big buck. And I'm a I am super huge on funnels, battles, travel corridors, pinch points, you name it. I like to naturally funnel deer past me, especially in November when them bucks are going crazy covering ground. So in the rut, I'm going to have a plan. Okay, I'm going to spend ample amount of time in these funnels or uh, ample amount of time hunting off these ridge lines, or uh, I know this saddle's always good, or maybe it's a new piece of ground. Like this year, for example, I killed my second biggest buck to date, if we're going off inches again, killed my second biggest buck to date this year off of a new farm that literally, I'll be flat out honest with, with all of you listening, I was getting my ass kicked all October. I was struggling to get into deer. I was having a hard time even finding pockets of deer, but I stayed patient. And what I did was my early season plan did not pan out. It was not going the way I wanted it, but the rut was coming quick. And I thought, okay, I'm going to check out a couple of these good looking saddles and good looking funnels. I'm going to hang a few stands. I'm going to get some things ready. And lo and behold, on November 7th, first time hunting this, this stand that I actually had picked out in early fall, first time in. 25 minutes into that hunt, here comes what I'll call the buck of my dreams because he has absolutely, absolutely everything I've ever wanted. Wide, long beams, 41 inches of mass, um, 17 quarter points, you name it, he's got it. Um, split rounds, just, just a, a tune of a buck that I was so, so dang got excited to be able to have a chance to hunt still. But more of the story, stuck to my plan. Late season, same thing, stay patient. Cold weather and snow, it's going to happen. It's going to come sooner or later. I never get antsy and jump the gun and shoot a buck that I didn't want or a buck that I try to talk myself into. I stay patient because sooner or later, every year it happens. Everybody gets, oh, man, it's December, it's January. You know, our season runs to the first Sunday in February. Every year I watch people do this. They shoot a buck in December or January. They walk up to it and they go, oh. Gosh, that's just not really what I wanted. But I only had three weeks of season left. And then a cold front hits. And it's snowing. And it's cold. And you got big bucks on their feet because they have to feed and they have to move. The patient guy always is going to have an opportunity in late season. But you've got to stay driven and you've got to stay patient. And that's honestly the key to my success is, yes, entry exit routes. Everybody knows it. Everybody talks about it. Yes, scent control. I do all those things, yes, but the biggest key to Clint Casper's success, in my opinion, is I am always the most patient guy in the woods. I am not in a hurry because as a big buck hunter, there will be years, you can mark my word, that I will eat a tag and anyone else is going to have to eat tags. It's going to happen, but that's just all part of the fundamentals of being you know, a big buck hunter. I mean, you're, you're trying to hunt uh, like the five or six percent of the deer population. So those older bucks that I'm targeting only encompass like five or six percent of the entire deer herd. So I mean, if you really stop and break that down, the odds are not ever in your favor. But the guy that stays patient and has a game plan and does not give in, does not give up, more times than not, he will have an opportunity. You've just got to be ready to make it count when it shows up. But that. That, my friend, that is what has separated me. And I've learned that the hard way because I've been on the other side of that spectrum when I was younger. I've rushed. I've been unprepared. 
there were there was a couple times that I, I shot books that I really honestly truly shouldn't have shot. But you know what? Those were all building blocks that have got me to where I'm at now. And now, like I said, it it's the patient. The the, the patient hunter usually will get rewarded with an opportunity. And that's that is what I you know, eat, sleep, die, and breathe off of right there is patience. You gotta have it to be a good bow hunter, in my opinion. Yeah, great advice. And so that's a couple of things. You know, first of all, it's, you know, it's it's a commitment and a mindset, you know, that starts before the season ever opens. And then during the season, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about, you know, what's the opposite of what you're talking about? And the opposite of what you're talking about is the old mindset when that sort of marginal borderline buck you know comes along and the guy says to himself if i don't kill this deer the neighbor is going to kill it then that is sort of like the exact opposite mindset of of how you're going about your business you know and i admire you because you know uh hey even i get tempted by by that other mindset you know at times so i i do i say you are absolutely tenacious relentless relentless is the word that i that i use and you know you talk about that big six pointer like I forget how many you said, 96 days or something like that. Like how many, do you actually keep a journal? How many, what's the the most times that you've ever actually sat in a season? Like how many sits, how many hours? Do you have statistics on that sort of thing? That was the most um, sits that I've ever sat in a year. Um, like, uh, like, you know, obviously it's, it wasn't consecutive days, but I think the season was like 112 or a hundred days long on that night that I killed my buck. And I had hunted 97 or 96 of them. Um, that's the longest that I've hunted to kill a buck. Now, a few years ago, I was hunting one specific buck, had my heart dead set, um, still to this day, <laughs> I, I, I let a buck walk that he probably slapped me for, um, still to this day, I, 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 I think back to, to that, um, I, I let a mid one sixties buck walk cause I was hunting a buck that I really honestly thought would be one ninety plus never did kill that deer. But that year, um, that year was, I want to say I had pushing 120 days in a tree. Um, it was basically every night. Very, 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 very few days that I missed. I was on three weeks of work. I hunted 16 out of 18 days. No, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I hunted 15 out of 18 days, dark to dark in November. The three days I missed, um, there was a, uh, I had a, actually had a lightning storm. It was like a 70 degree day in November. And there was a actually like a lightning storm that took place, and I had to get out of a tree. Another day, I had a doctor's appointment that I couldn't miss, and on the uh, third day out of those three, I had to get down early. I had some stuff going on, some family stuff that I I, I wasn't able to uh, you know hunt the entire day. But people say all the time, "How could you possibly?" My friends always joke that my feet are off the ground more than they're on the ground in daylight in November because usually I'm hanging from a tree somewhere. And they'll say, how, how can you do that? But it's just for me, you know, I just love matching wits. 
with those big bucks. And usually I've always got one or two picked out that I'm, you know, I'm trying to, to harvest, but so yeah, that would be the longest. The, the, as far as on a winning year, 97 days till I killed a buck. And on a losing year, I want to say I was at like 121, 119, somewhere around 120 days of field in Ohio, uh, chasing that buck and, uh, never did kill him. Honestly, he disappeared. Uh, never found his sheds that year. To this day, I really have no clue where that deer, um, ever got to never heard of him being killed. He was big enough that I should have heard. Um, gosh, I, I, I've always thought, man, did he get poached and, and no one's just ever, you know, uh, kind of announced that they, that they, that they have the rack because they'd raise eyebrows. I, I don't know. I, I honestly really, truly don't know that that's always going to be an unsolved mystery for me, but, um, uh, Man, it was just uh, that, that was a fun year. I was I was back at full draw four times on that buck. Never released an arrow. Three times I had that deer under thirty yards, and it was too dark. I could not either get my housing lined up with my peep, or could not see my pins, or it was past legal shoot. You know, well, two times I had him come in, and I didn't even draw my bow because it was already past legal shooting light, so there was no point. But I mean, I had that deer underneath me, literally like five or six times, three of those times I was at full draw, still with legal light, but I was back in the timber to where it was just too dark and I was not going to risk a shot. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just not going to risk a shot on a, on a buck like that or of any deer, but yeah, you know, yeah. something like that. You know what the point there is that I take from that is just, um, that's an example, you know, you take that deer that you were hunting so um, relentlessly uh, to have them that close to you, like, five times like you just said that's a case of a deer like he survived and he didn't even know like he didn't really outwit you you outwitted him he just survived oh, by, by, by by being nocturnal enough you know and yep. which yep. may have just yeah, been his true. it may have been just his nature not to move until after dark and that was the only thing that kept that deer alive you know what i mean it's not like yep. it's not like he was making you and he had you all figured out obviously you you had opportunities it was just like literally within seconds or minutes of his life possibly being over the other thing i got to ask you you know you talk about uh that you can do it you know i just love it i can go out there i mean first of all okay everyone who's listening you know myself included we you know i'm just gonna admit clint right like i couldn't go out like i love bow hunting i I couldn't probably get myself to go out 119 days or 96 days you know here around the house in a given fall not the least of which that would actually be hard for me to be out of the office that much but the bigger question is okay you know you can do it clint but you know for those who don't know you know clint's got you know, a good woman at home. Clint's got some some boys at home. Actually, congratulations! You just you just welcomed number three. So you know, it's one thing if you can do it, buddy. But how in the world can your family, you know, put up with this? Give us a little secret on how you can convince uh, the people at home that this is a good idea for dad to be 119 days a year in the tree. Well, you know, I mean, as times went on, you know, I mean, it, it's. It's one of those things where anyone that's ever known me or has been around me will tell you, like, they've just always associated me and my life with with bow hunting. And it's just a passion and a desire. So, you know, uh, you know, Danielle, I mean, she thinks I'm nuts. My mom and dad think I'm nuts. Uh, heck, the kids think I'm nuts. Uh, and, you know, 
as they get older and more sports and different things, I mean, I, you know, I'm going to have to slow down some of that. And, and, and I'm fine with that because, hey, kids are only kids once, you know. But everybody knows when I get my heart or my mind set to something, um, gosh, I, I, I'm just – I'm just like you said. Well, I'm going to use the phrase you said, uh, tenacious. I'm like that, that just you know, grit and bear it defensive end that is constantly rushing the quarterback every single play. I mean, to put it in football terms, I'm, I'm that guy. When I find a buck or I find a, a, a big muley on an out west hunt or, or whatever, and I get infatuated with it, and I'm just, I'm falling in love with that. And I'm like, oh man, that is. That's it right there. That's the Holy grail. That's the buck I'm after. That's the fool I'm after. You know, uh, I, I want to kill that, that long beard. That's got two ropes hanging from his chest, whatever the case may be. It's just a burning, you know, passion inside me. That is like, I just don't have any quit. And everyone that knows me knows that, you know, although at times it's probably, I, I look and sound crazy. Everyone just knows that. It's almost like I can't help it, Chris. Did you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's just one of those deals where you're like, well, Cliff found a big buck again. Well, let's hope he kills it in the first month because if not, he's going to go down swinging clear into February trying to kill this thing. So let's just hope and pray he does get it killed. But, uh, I mean, I've always had a good, uh, I shouldn't say yeah, good. But did, you, did, did, you, did you ever have to sleep on the couch, though? Because you, like... Oh, met- <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, fuck you this way. I was in Idaho and Montana this year for 16 days in the backcountry uh, hunting elk and mule deer and antelope. And, uh, yeah, that was hard news to kind of break. Um, was, hey, that seven to 10 day trip is probably going to end up being about 15 to 16, honey. I mean, yeah, you know, but like I said, though, um, you know, Everyone around me and everyone that has surrounded me in life, you know, they, they, they get it. I mean, although they might completely think I'm insane at times, they understand it. And, you know, they want to see me succeed. And, hey, you know, when it's not hunting season, I mean, you know, we're always doing stuff with the kids. I mean, you know, we, man, I mean, we, you know, I, I try to have as much fun and do as much other cool stuff. I mean, you know, the kids... They love the outdoors. They like to hunt, but they also like going to the beaches and and then going and you know doing the the bounce houses and the jump zones and the, all that kind of stuff and fishing and whatnot. So you know, I I mix in a lot of that time too. But I'll tell you what, when we flip the calendar to August, Christian, everybody knows. Okay, it's time for Clint to wind up, buddy. And then when you pull the cord and let me loose, I'm going to tear off. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, you're 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 a fellow fellow diehard. Uh, hunting yourself you you understand it once it's time to flip the calendars to fall there's just something inside of you that says okay it's go time now let's let's get going so well it's all about choosing your battles you know i i tell the story oh yeah i've got a few years on you now because you know you just turned 30 and i turned 30 45 rather back in the fall so i've got 15 years on you my friend and i just remember back to the early years of marriage um you know, anything that's, you know, really important to my wife, I usually just relent. 
you know, at some, if not immediately, eventually. But I know that there was one thing that I never even like budged on and probably to the point where, well, I know it annoyed her and she probably thought I was unreasonable, but I just knew in the fall when bow season was in, like if I gave in on that, I was going to lose it and I was never going to get it back. And I would just tell her every fall, like for the first five years or so, we'd have like the same arguments and I'd give her the old, you know, it's only six weeks a year and I just can't (laughs) sacrifice that. You know, it's the, it's the art season and you just that's just the way it is you know like anything else I'll give you but I can't give you that you know and then of course I was fortunate enough later on to get into the outdoor industry full time and and sometimes it's a lot more than six year six weeks a year now you know it's not just the Pennsylvania archery season but um yeah I, I mean you gotta I guess like you say basically what you said you know you set the tone people know yep. you know this is who you are this is how you are you know, there's certain things that Clint's going to do. And if he wants to, if you guys want to go to the beach for a week in July, you know, I'm all about it. But don't ask me to like, you know, go to your cousin's wedding on November 7th because it's just not going to happen. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's funny you say that. I can think back to uh, um, way back when I was in college and, and I went to Kent State, which is about an hour and a half away from home here. And I lived up there, but. I always, uh, I scheduled, <laughs> my guys have kind of caught on to this after the first two years, but I always scheduled my spring classes in the evening so I could turkey hunt the mornings. And then my fall classes, typically I would schedule in the morning so I could hunt the evenings. Well, I spent and wasted a ton of gas money because I would come home, um, oh, I'd come home three, four nights a week and in the rut. I mean, it was, oh God, every absolute second I could. I was driving home. Even I would drive home, hunt two, three hours for an evening, crawl out of a tree, change my clothes, and head right back to school. There were times where mom and dad didn't even know I was back because I didn't want to hear dad go, I don't even want to see how much gas you're waiting. Like, he would have been on me about how much gas money I was wasting and how I was blowing through my you know, my money that I earned all summer on gas. But I just I couldn't help it. I could not sit up there and, and wonder what was walking by stands. But I had a buddy. He turned 21. On November 9th, and I'll never forget this. It was my junior year, uh, uh, and he had this big, oh, this big bar crawl event planned. You know, oh man, you know, we're we're, we're going to go to these all these different places and have a drink at each one. And oh, it sounded super fun. I mean, don't get me wrong, I was like, oh man, that's going to be great. You know, all of our friends are going, and we could walk everywhere. And no one had to drive. There was no worries. You know, I said, but man, I can't make it. And he goes, what are you talking about? You can't make it. He goes, it's, we're not going to meet till eight o'clock at night. I said. You don't understand. I said, man, I've been, I've been hunting this giant buck. And he stopped me. He goes, if you even tell me I'm, that you're not coming to this because you're hunting some stupid deer. I said, dude, you don't understand. He's got kickers and mass. And, and he didn't talk to me for about a week. <laughs> he didn't talk to me for about a week because I was hunting this buck. And I didn't end up, I didn't end up, I did end up killing the buck. Now, I didn't kill him until December. So realistically, I probably could have skipped you could have you could have gone to that guy's birthday party. Well, I could have, but <laughs> I could have, and we we laugh about that now, and we look back on stuff like that, and we we shake our heads, and he goes, you know, he goes, I remember walking into the first place. There's 15 or 20 of us, and he goes, I remember walking into the very first place, and everyone goes, oh man, where's Clint? Where's Clint? Where's Clint? And he goes, and I had to sit there and tell them 
that instead of coming out to have an, a great evening with us, he was going to go to bed early so he could get up and sit in a 20-inch by 20-inch platform 20 feet above the forest floor and hunt some stupid deer. And I was like, oh, that buck was not a stupid buck. That buck was old and had mass and kickers, and he'll still cut me off and go, dude, I don't care about any of that. You missed my birthday party. But long story short, my friends have just accepted, don't ask me to do stuff in November specifically because I've got to get my sleep so I can hunt dark till dark. I mean, that's just part of the equation in Clint's world during the run. Yeah, it's a, it's a good story, man. It's a good story. <laughs> let's, uh, let's shift gears over to something else that you had mentioned, uh, scheduling your, your spring classes in the evening so you had the mornings to hunt. Let's talk real quick because we are actually a lot closer to turkey season at this point in the year than we are to, to deer season. Let's talk a little bit about this article that you had in April, May. Um, mid-morning strategy, you know, you, you kind of like to zig – when a lot of the guys zag and I think it obviously it's paid off for you and you know probably for several reasons and you, you lay it out uh in your article you know not the least of which that a lot of guys have probably given up and left the woods right about the time that you're parking the truck and, and getting out so you've got maybe less less competition out there at the time that you're hunting and then you know the birds are pretty susceptible at that time too which i'll let you kind of explain uh for yourself yeah no uh you know i've always always loved um always been infatuated with with turkey hunting and i think that's why i'm I like elk hunting so much is because it's so much fun to interact, you know, with, with, with critters on that level where you're trying to, to mimic, you know, their mate or mimic another buck or, or another bull or another Tom that, that wants to fight, or, you know, you're, 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 uh, you're poking the bear per se, trying to get them to, to come in looking for a fight or come in looking for a girlfriend or whatnot. But so, yeah, so I, I kind of, over the years, um, I've got quite a bit of, of private ground, but I hunt a lot of public and I, I travel to different states a lot and hunt public for turkeys. I've, I've always liked um, trying to soak up as many of those those nice spring uh, mornings as I can um, in the turkey woods. And the one thing I've always found is it seems like, you know, there's so many hunts where, you know, gosh, you you find a bird and he's roosted and he's gobbling his head off and it's it's right about the time when they're going to pitch down and all of a sudden you'll hear a few hens start to tackle and kind of go back and forth with each other and then that's it. Silence. That's all you hear. They fly down and you're like, okay, I'm going to fire up this slate call and I'm going to have 26 toms answer me back because this whole ridge and bull all around me is gobbling. So you fire up that slate call and you put your mouth call in and you're, you're running both of them. I mean, you're just throwing everything at these birds, not a peep. And for years I thought, now why? What, what, there's, you know, did they see me? What, what has happened? I mean, were these, you know, it could have been other hunters that were gobbling. I mean, what, why, what's going on? And it's taken me a long time to figure out, but through turkey hunting so much, um, I just found that, you know, these birds, they get hemmed up. And they try to roost close to where, you know, potentially their next day's girlfriends are going to be. So when those hens hit the ground, so do these toms, and they'll go fly down. And they've got the hen now right there. So they'll strut back and forth, and they're showing off their colors, and they're doing all this. And a lot of times, you know, they're already with this hen. They don't need 
to really gobble. And we, as hunters, we get frustrated. We start moving. We start calling, which, I, I mean, back in the day, I was guilty of this. You start calling too much, and now you don't sound natural. So now you've got a Tom that's got ladies with him who also is starting to get on edge because you don't sound natural. Well, before long, either the hen's going to get tired of hearing you squawk and carry on, and she's going to take him away, or he's going to get nervous himself, and he's going to leave. So now you're not only do you have new birds around, but you've got educated birds. And then guys get frustrated, and by 8, 39 o'clock, you've had enough of this, and you're like, you know what, we're going to head over here to Dunkin' Donuts, and we're just going to say, the heck with this turkey hunt, and we're going to fire up the cell phone and get on Facebook and eat a donut or a bagel and drink some coffee, and we'll try again tomorrow. But, but, instead of doing that, what I found through trial and error is, come about 9, 30, 10 o'clock, these toms that were with a girlfriend have already done their business, or... Maybe the hen's not ready to breed. They've gotten tired of being with that specific hen the entire mid-morning. Now they're on the search. They want to find another hen or another mate. So now you've got toms that are, are, are kind of shifting gears on you. They're moving around looking for another hen. So when they hear someone say at 10 o'clock strike up, you know, you start in with maybe some soft clucks and purrs and then, you know, go through your calling sequence. All of a sudden, you've got a bird that fires up because he hasn't heard you all morning. You're new. You're fresh. Man, what hen is this? And he hammers you two or three times. Now you've got him excited. Now, if you play your cards right, you've got a bird that's probably going to be very eager to come check you out because he does not know what hen you are, and he's looking for another one. And that's kind of was the strategy behind that article was to get guys to rethink that mid-morning. You know, a turkey hunt does not end at 9 o'clock, fellas. Uh, it, it, it honestly can just be getting started. And some of my best hunts, uh, and we're going to gauge them on the amount of gobbles, some of my best hunts where I've heard the most gobbling and seen the most strutting action have been in that 9 or 10 till noon or later phase. And guys will say, oh, I've never seen that. But are you hunting that time? Because I never saw it either until I started to hunt that mid-morning time. And man, oh man, all those years I wasn't doing it, I was missing out. Totally missing out. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes those birds come in gobbling like crazy. And a lot of times, and you talk about this in the article, and we experienced this. We said we'd work old Timmy into the conversation. So this is the Timmy. Oh, yeah. This must be the Timmy segment. Timmy's my... The thir- thirteen-year-old. Uh, Timmy time. Uh, Timmy time. They'll come in. They'll come in. Uh, they'll come in silent, like like they did. Yep. You know when we were out there, and uh, so yep. you know that's something you have to be careful and patient. That that's where your patience, I think, comes back to serving you well, Clint, because you got that bird. Um, Maybe he responded to you initially. Maybe you you called back and forth a little bit. He was gobbling. He was gobbling. And then he kind of gets quiet. Well, you know, that's where Clint Casper tends to hunker down and just sit real still and, and, and keep his eyes and ears open where other guys might, you know, kind of give it up a little too soon because you've killed a lot of birds that have slipped in, you know, without making a peep. Oh yeah, absolutely, and especially um, with a bow, especially for the guys that are that are hunting them, you know, with with only a bow, like you know, uh, 
gosh, I mean, I don't get me wrong. It, it's fun to it's fun to, to pepper one in the face with a shotgun. Don't get me wrong, but there's something about shooting them with a bow um, on the ground. You know, trying to get through them without them seeing you. I just I've always fallen in love uh, with with that type of, of uh, a turkey hunt with you know, with the bow. And what I found too is you know I love to get a bird fired up and then completely go silent because that curiosity factor and that uh, eagerness to Yeah, you're just just, hen was, just to interject, you're talking about you going silent, not the gobbler. Oh, so, yeah. So you'll call yeah. and yeah. get that bird all ramped up, and every time yep. you cluck or purr, he's going nuts, and then you just shut up and sit there, and you're like, how you know, you're basically telling that bird, Hey buddy, I can sit here on my ass and hold still longer than you can stand to not come over here and see me. Yep. And and the thing, you know, I like to I honestly like to get once I've got a bird that's cutting me off to like, okay, so I start in yelping and I'm not even done with my with my yelping sequence and he's cutting me off. The minute I've got a bird that I I like to use the term He's hammering me to the point of where he's gobbling the minute he even hears me make a sound. When I get a bird to that level of excitement, it's time for me to go silent. And then I let him make the final mistakes that gets him killed. I let that bird come in and I want him to come searching for me because a lot of times what that does is that will force that bird to start peeking around and looking around and as he's coming in, you know, he is like, okay, I know this hen was here. Now, where is she? And, you know, so now he's moving and he's covering ground. That gives me time to get hunkered in behind a tree or gives me time to wait for him to move past me, then draw my bow. When you got a bird all fired up in your face at 20 yards and he's, you know, goblin, 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 goblin. A lot of times they'll just sit and spin in a circle because they want that hen to come to them. You know, they're they're there. They heard you. Yeah, well, that's come all the yeah, further. Yeah. The thing is, that's what's normal in the in the wild. You know, there, there's exactly. a reason. There's exactly. A, there's a reason that those birds gobble, and it's not yep. believe it or not, it's not so that hunters can can find them and go kill them. It's actually that's so. That's right. <laughs> it's contrary to popular belief. The the gobblers actually gobble so that the hens know where they are, and the hens will come over and and actually yep. fl flock up with the gobbler. So so that's what's basically driving him so nuts is typically. You know, think about it. You, it. Actually, for me, I have to think about it. For you, it's your reality. You know, for Clint Casper, right, you walk down the street and you usually have all these women that are just coming up to you. And so when you met, the, yeah, exactly. See, I wouldn't know what it's like. I was lucky to find one woman that would come up to me, but that was your reality. So when you met Danielle and, you know, she didn't really respond, that just probably drove you nuts. And that's how she actually got you because you just couldn't probably stand the fact that she wasn't chasing after you like all the other girls and you went and pursued her. Well, that's exactly what you're now using as your secret strategy in the turkey woods is you're being that woman who's given like ah, a couple calls and now you're quiet and he's thinking 
what in the world is going on here? Do I not have a 12-inch beard? Do I not have two-inch spurs? Do I not have the plumpest breast in the forest here? Do I not have the most iridescent feathers? Do I not have the biggest tail fan? Every hen in the woods is after me, and you're going to play hard to get? I don't think so. I think I'm going to walk over there and see what's going on, and then before I know what's even happening, Clint Casper has just put a broadhead through my vitals. I mean, that is just some cold-hearted trickery, my friend. Oh, I'll tell you, it is total wizardry. That's what it is. It, it, it's just it's total wizardry. And you know, it's it's funny that uh, it's funny that you tell that little story like that about Danielle and I because I made it up. I don't know I, if I was right or not. I obviously didn't know well, you guys. Were well, about to I actually, <laughs> I, I actually, I actually did have to have to chase her around for quite some time. But I, I have a buddy. Not that long ago, that long story short, he's like, yeah, I just don't understand what's happening with, with this, uh, we won't say her name, but this, this, this girl. And, uh, man, she, she just, she just cold turkeyed me. And, and I just don't understand. I mean, she just totally, you know, like we talk in terms of, you know, he's referring to a turkey, a Tom going cold and not, and, you know, not goggling back and playing that game of, Hey, no hen, you come to me. And it's, it's funny because like how you're explaining that story, you know, my buddy's explaining his relationship problem as in turkey talk, you know, so, yeah, it, it kind of makes sense if you sit back and think about it, like you were saying, you know, you, uh, you kind of like want what you can't have type of thing. And when these clubs figure out that you have quit calling and they're all fired up and they're like, wait a minute, you haven't come to check me out yet. I don't see you, but I know you were over there. Well, what's going on? And now it's that curiosity factor and that's what gets them killed. And like I said, with a, with a bow, I love to have birds come in that are on the move versus birds that are gobbling their heads off and constantly in one spot because it's hard to get drawn on that bird. I like to have birds walk past me or be walking by me. And then that gives me, you know, time to get drawn on them as they're walking away or maybe they've walked past or there's a you know, I've tried to use terrain features to, to you know, to my advantage, like, uh, you know, little creek crossings or spots that's going to make them walk by where I can kind of set up my ambush. So, that bird that's coming in that's on the lookout and, and kind of looking for that hen, a lot of times they're they're so focused on looking for the hen, you can get away with just a wee little bit of movement and get your bow drawn as they walk by versus that Tom that's just standing there spinning in circles, gobbling his head off. I mean, if you can't kill him in that spot, he might be in that spot for 10 or 15 minutes. If he doesn't see a hen and you haven't killed him yet, guess what? He's going back the other way. And he'll probably gobble the whole time he does it, but man, now you're, you know, now you're up Poop Creek without a paddle, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually pretty surprised that you're able to kill as many birds as you do <clears throat> not using a blind, which is obviously the most common uh, method that bow hunters in particular use, you know, to get drawn. Um, how far is your typical shot when you're doing this, Clint, in the woods? You're getting hunting with a bow basically just like a shotgun hunter does you're not using any kind of blind you're just like you say you're you're picking a spot where you think you can kind of get tucked in somewhere how many you know what's a typical shot for you i mean i you know i'm usually right in that you know 20 25 maybe 30 i mean it's you know hey turkeys are turkeys are a tough target i mean they really are i mean you know 
people can say, oh, if you just hit them in the body, you'll kill them. Ah, no, no, that's, that's not true. I mean, you, you need to hit them in the vitals and, and, and anchor them through the wings. And, I mean, you're basically shooting at a softball or a little bit bigger size target. So, I mean, I really, I really like to be in that 20, 25, 30 um, max uh, just because, like I said, there's, there's a lot that can go wrong. Um, you're trying to get them, you know, sometimes they're, they're moving a little bit or, you know, I mean, it's just, I would say on average, probably I'm in that 20 to, to 25 would, would be the majority of the birds I've killed with a bow and too close. Um, gosh, you know, too close is rough. Um, because when they're too close, you know, like I said, the movement thing, I mean, their eyes are just as sharp as a daggone hawk so you just can't get away you know i've had multiple birds come in and get in too tight to where i could not you know get them killed because i, I couldn't get drawn and then as they were walking away i didn't have opportunities and whatnot so i try to set myself up for that 2025 you know that that seems to be a nice buffer zone where it's still a a fairly, you know, um, uh, it should be an easy shot for a guy and it's enough space and room between me and them that I can get away with a little bit of movement and they're not right up in your face. And what kind of a, what kind of a broadhead do you prefer for your turkey hunting? I love a big expandable. Um, you know, I, I don't think you can beat um, having, you know, uh, a two inch plus um, cutting diameter. I mean, you know, it's not like you've got a. Um, it's not like you're shooting a moose or an elk where you know, oh gosh, what if you hit a rib bone or what if you clip the shoulder or, or what if this? I mean, you know, there, there's you got feathers to go through and, and and the wing and then you're into them. So I mean, you know, I want the biggest cutting diameter that I can have because then if you are off an inch or inch and a half, you know, you've got a little bit of margin for error. Because like I said, I mean, and I know we've talked about this in the past. A turkey is a tough target. I mean, it's it's not a a, a gigantic kill zone on those things. And, and when your heart's pounding and you're at full draw and you got this bird that's just, he's just been cutting loose all morning and you finally got him at 22 yards. I mean, man, if you're a diehard turkey hunter and you're human, your heart's going to be pounding out of your chest. So, I mean, it's still a, I mean, that, that's a big shot. There's no doubt about it. And it's a small target. Oh, yeah. And like uh, I said, it, uh, yeah, you know, those, those turkeys... Those turkeys will drive you crazy too, because oh yeah, I mean, I've got, I, I I've lost some turkeys, man, and, and I have a, I have video, and I could show you the video, and and it's like you said, Clint, you know, you'd be like, oh, you pinwheeled that turkey, and I'm like, yep. well, yep. I, I believe I did, but. I'll be danged if I could find that turkey. You know what I mean? Because yep. if you yep. don't, if you don't take out the wings or the legs, uh, they can get far enough, and they're good enough at hiding that. Man, them, 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 them things is enough to drive you crazy. So, yeah, you gotta be, you gotta be precise with those turkey shots. Yep. Listen, man, I'm gonna tell you something. We're almost an hour in, and I feel like we're just getting started, but we can't oh, be. Man, you're but, right. but we can't be. But I'll tell you what I'm gonna do because I've had so much fun talking to you today, and and hopefully you've had as much fun. I'm gonna make you an offer, and hopefully it's an offer that you can't refuse. I'm actually gonna turn this into a two pot 
part podcast. So this was part one. We talked some whitetails and we talked some turkeys. And really, we just scratched the surface of both. We could spend a lot more time diving deeper on both of those subjects. But I also want to talk to you about your Western hunting, the things that you've been learning out West in the last, say, five to 10 years that are making you a yep. more, more effective bow hunter back east here and so if you're up for it i'm gonna say that in a couple days let's get back together and record part two of the clint casper chronicles and we'll talk about all that western stuff hey that sounds great that sounds good i'll be looking forward to it i uh, i always have a always have a blast talking uh you know bow hunting with a good buddy and uh man you know when we and you get on a roll we get on a roll so i'm not surprised that we've already been going for an hour but uh hopefully the listeners of, of are you know if nothing else getting a few good laughs and maybe picking up a little bit of knowledge or maybe they're sitting back just going wow these two should never drink a monster energy drink or they're liable to explode right there in person i mean <laughs> yeah well I, I mean it's it is what it is buddy you know when you're you're one thing I always say about myself is, you know, at least with me, you don't have to know where you stand. You know, it's if I'm happy, you're going to know it. If I'm mad, you're yep. going to know it. If I'm sad, you're going to yep. know it. You know, there's not a lot of mystery there. I would not be a very good professional poker player. Um, no, no, uh, me neither. <laughs> but uh, but I do like that title that I that I stumbled on. So I, I think I will call this the Casper Chronicles. And this will be Casper Chronicles Part 1. Uh, and then we'll do Casper Chronicles Part Two, the Western Edition. So, for those of oh, you who, I like that. for those of you who are listening, if you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, make sure you check back and download part two so you can listen to the rest of Clint and I's conversation. So for today, Clint, I'm going to say thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being with us here on Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, and we will talk again very soon. Hey, absolutely. Can't thank you enough, my man. It's been a heck of a good time, and we got part two coming your guys' way soon. So get ready for that one. Thank you for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bowhunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com.